short stories. Hi, everyone. I'm, and I'm Jeremy. And you're you. And this is Nobody Reads Short Stories. Welcome. So Jeremy and I came up with the idea for this podcast because we love reading short stories and we love writing short stories. But we discovered that a lot of people that we know don't like doing either. So we thought it would be great if we could create this podcast so we could showcase not only our own work, but uh, stories that are written by people that we love who are really wonderful writers and stories that have really meant a lot to us. Yeah, uh, this is a great time for short stories. Like audibles and audiobooks are like really popular. So why not put them in short story form too? Absolutely, absolutely. So Jeremy and I met at Carnegie Mellon at the MFA program there in dramatic writing. And then we decided to move out to Los Angeles after we graduated. That is true. <laughs> Megan is a re the recipient of the Sloan Screenwriting Award and her, her short film, sorry guys, I'm really nervous. Uh, her short film, Dead Color, was screened in fe festivals across the country, including the Catalina Film Festival and the Crossroads Film Festival. Yes, and Jeremy is the recipient of multiple playwriting awards. I won't bore you with this whole list. But his play, Will Always Have Paris, was uh, produced at the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. And his wonderful monologue project, Talk to Me, was produced out here in L.A. And he's been producing his own work um, since he's been out here. We appreciate everyone right. staying home and staying safe. Um, we thought that doing this uh, podcast would be great because we know that you're busy doing dishes or doing your chores or maybe taking a walk with your dog. So this will be a good excuse for you get, to get a story in. We were thinking that it would be cool. Um, you know, those stereotypical movies where they have the people in the 1940s, their families like cir circled around the radio. So picture doing that. Eventually when the quarantine's no longer happening, you'll be able to go back to work and get a full story in for the week. Yeah. Um, and we acknowledge that um, we know that there's a, a lot of anger mm. and unrest and uncertainty and fear going on right now. But Jeremy and I really felt strongly about continuing on with this podcast because we feel like art and creativity and narrative and stories are really important right now and can serve a purpose in helping uh, to find a small respite for people or provide a small respite for people. So uh, we're excited that you're here and that you're listening and that you're watching if you're watching the live stream and we just really appreciate you coming out tonight so thank you yeah short stories don't have to be boring we're going to be doing all genres all subject matters we're going to have all different kinds of authors on on board this project all links um and listen maybe you don't like sci-fi but when you check out one of our sci-fi you're like oh oh my god i really love this author and hey if you didn't you're going to get a new piece the next week so huzzah on that Absolutely, yeah. And so before we get into the stories and we blow your hair back and you get so kerfuffled <laughs> that you don't know what to do with yourself and you're like drooling with happiness, we would love it if you would go to our YouTube channel and like and subscribe us. Feel free to leave a comment, uh, comment on the story, comment on this podcast, comment on some stories that you like or that you think we should check out. We would love to hear from you. If you're interested in learning more about Jeremy and I's individual work, you can check out our websites. They're listed in the description below. Uh, you can sign up for notifications for the projects that I'm working on on my website. And Jeremy has an amazing newsletter that he puts out every week 
where you receive, if you sign up for notifications for the the newsletter, you'll get a hot out of his brain story right into your inbox every week. It's amazing. Yeah, they're 100 word micro stories and they're all genres just like this podcast. So check out jeremyraystories.com and subscribe. Excellent. So Jeremy, why don't you tell everybody how this yeah. is going to work? So first we go through the intro and you're like, oh my God, they're talking so much. We're done with that. Congratulations. Um, after the introduction, we have three minutes where we get to blab blather about whatever we want to talk about. And you've seen that we like blathering. So this is the perfect opportunity for once the cranky, once cranky uh, cranks up, we have that three minutes and then we have to stop. After that, we do the short story, and once the short story's over, we have the bonus where we interview the author. Uh, usually it's gonna be pre-recorded, but this time it's me, so it'll be live. There, how was that, Megan? And for those of you who, and for those of you who are just listening and not watching the live stream, Cranky is a giant black uh, time clock that's used for a dark room way back in the dark ages where people uh, developed their He's own film. as big as Megan's head. Yeah, like, literally. And I have a big <laughs> head, so that's saying a lot. All right, are we ready to crank him? Crank cranky. Crank cranky. All right, we're ready. So Jeremy, tell me what you've been well, reading. Well, let me week. whip it out for you, Megan. I haven't started this one. Uh, it's called The Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller. You might have heard of her book, Circe, which I haven't read either. <laughs> but I was uh, looking on Goodreads, and uh, I just got tentilated by reading the back. It's a bunch of really uh, Greek guys uh, doing Greek things, and they're also kind of gay. And uh, I'm going to show you some pictures. Right on. Megan, are you ready for this? I'm, it's I'm gonna ready. get hot in I'm here. So Hotter than it already is. Oh, Are you ready? Please. It's already hot. Ooh. I'm ready. Woo! Half man, half oh, animal. Man. I love That's it. That's how you should have them. Well, look at his arms. Wow. Okay, but yeah. I don't want to be shallow. She actually has uh, four and a half to five star <laughs> reviews on her book. Um, I'm gonna save her probably every page, but I, I bet it's gonna be a good one. Megan, what are you reading? Well, uh, before I get to that, I just want to tell our listeners who are not watching the live stream that you just showed me pictures of really hot Greek guys from Drawings, the back of the book. Yeah. This is what we're ooing and aahing over. Uh, so I just finished this wonderful book called Wow, No Thank You by Samantha Irby, who is a memoirist slash essayist. She's a humorist. Uh, she reminds me a little bit of David Sedaris if David Sedaris was an African-American lesbian living in Kalamazoo, Michigan. She's written for the show Shrill and has collaborated with Lindy West and Abby Jacobson of Broad City. And she writes very humorously about her love life and her childhood and her Crohn's disease. And one of the things I really loved about this book, not only did it make me laugh out loud, but it really is uh, the first time that I've ever read essays about someone talking very candidly about having an autoimmune disease like Crohn's that you don't necessarily see, but you still have to deal with on a daily basis. And, and the way that she handles that, I thought was, was really wonderful and, and candid. So I highly recommend Megan, it. Megan, how did you find her? Like, what, what got you to finding that book? 
I don't remember. I'm a huge <laughs> fan of the LA Library app, Overdrive. Oh my goodness, Libby. Over her nickname's Libby. I love her. She's my friend. Well, Libby, Libby is specific to the Burbank Library here in California. And Overdrive is all of Los Angeles County. So Overdrive is like Libby on acid. Like you have just a lot more... Um, Titles Megan, we don't have from, to compete. I, I still love Libby. I, I don't know about that. I, I still wow. love Libby. I do. I do. I love Libby, and I love Samantha Irby. And I think it was one of the the books that they recommended to me. And then I had to wait like ten or twelve weeks, you know, once I put it in my queue to to oh, get it. But it was well worth it. It got you again. Yes. My favorite part of this right, is getting so, Megan to jump. So when when the when Cranky went off, I just jumped because I was very surprised and it's really loud. <laughs> so now moving on to the main event, what you're all here for, which is to hear a short story being read to you because nobody wants to actually nobody. read them themselves, which is fine. And so tonight we have the house plant written written by our wonderful co-host Jeremy Ray, and the house plant is a is a wonderful story. It's one of my favorite pieces of Jeremy's and. Um, one of the things I love about it is that it's told from the point of view of a houseplant, but it's really the the story of how different types of beings, whether they're a houseplant or a human, can can find similarities and um, a mutual affection for each other, uh, regardless of being so disparate. So without further ado, here is Jeremy Ray reading The Houseplant. The houseplant loves Sundays most of all because Brenda hosted her women's book club in the reading room. They would sit in the long table next to the plant's window and discuss chapters of the book they were reading. The houseplant liked the energy vibrations released when these humans produced their laughter. However, it most enjoyed when the women humans were done with the discussion because that's when they would turn and admire the fern's beauty. Sundays in the reading room became a compliment extravaganza especially when this new member who had never seen the houseplant before came, like the woman on Sunday, who by complimenting the houseplant had spurred Brenda onto a story she had told many times before. Me and George met three years ago. The women weren't the only ones listening to Brenda's story. Over the years, the fern had become... Sorry guys, computer issue. Me and George met three years ago. The women weren't the only ones listening to Brenda's story. Over the years, the fern had become a skilled expert at human language, and its expertise went beyond the mere words themselves into their finer nuances. It could smell and taste the subtle chemical changes humans released while producing the words, and it felt the subtle vibrational shifts in how the words themselves were being conveyed. On top of that, it could see the electrical signals being transmitted through the entire human body. The houseplant had come a long way in understanding humankind and prided itself in often understanding humans better than they understood themselves. While the human women toiled away with the meaning of Brenda's words, the plant just knew. Humans call this knowing intuition because they use it so infrequently. If Brenda had been using her intuition, she would have known that the regular members of the book club, though they loved her dearly, were secretly bored to death with the houseplant's story. They had heard it so many times before, but because of their love for Brenda, they presented their most cordial smiles as Brenda turned to the two new women engrossed in her story of how she met the houseplant. I was in line at Home Depot, 
have no idea what I was buying. Doesn't even matter. Anyway, I felt someone tapping me on my rear end. Well, I turned around and was just about to let the guy behind me have it when I noticed that it wasn't the man. It was this tiny fern trying to get my attention. Brenda stroked one of the houseplant's leaves as she spoke. I looked down at him and it was love at first sight. Right, George? Wrong. That was not the real story. It might have been love at first sight for Brenda, but it was certainly not for the houseplant. Brenda's backside kept infringing on its territory. If the plant could have moved away, it would have. This kind of harassment was typical for the plants placed on the display table next to the aisles in Home Depot. The fern had yearned to be placed back in its original position, in the middle of the houseplants, away from all the humans. There, it had enjoyed listening to the sound waves of its neighboring plants, and felt a particular fondness for a neighboring palm tree. The fern, for months, had been moving its roots over to the side of the pot closest to the palm tree, in hopes of one day being able to entwine with its friend. But that time never came. What did come were the fat-filled human backsides. There was no contentment for the plants on the outer edges of the display table, especially in May when the buying frenzy would reach a fever pitch. The plants would watch in trepidation as the dear friends of theirs were taken. The most dangerous place for a houseplant was the corner of the table nearest the checkout lane, reserved only for the most beautiful of plants. The plants considered this danger corner. There, the plants suffered the most human abuses. They were picked up as often as they were knocked over. Even more cruel were the human's tiny offspring, who frequently ripped off flowers and leaves from the plant. But the fern never imagined that it would have to worry. It thought it would remain safe in the middle of the table forever, because it was ugly. The fern had been at Home Depot so long that it understood that the plants that attracted the most attention were the ones humans found aesthetically pleasing. It had seen it time and time again over the years. Beautiful plants just didn't have a chance. The purple orchid, who had been in Danger Corner right before George, was the perfect example. Each time the orchid had been lifted by a human, it did what scared plants do. It released chemical warnings into the air. The first few days this defense mechanism had worked for the orchid. The human picker-uppers had intuitively put the orchid back down. But because intuition comes to humans in whispers, none of them knew exactly why. Instead, to help them understand their feelings, they came up with excuses. The fat man-human mumbled that the orchid was too big. The gay man-human had turned to his partner and said, it doesn't match our drapes. And the old woman-human had thought to herself, not for me, orchids are too hard to care for. But then the tall, thin human woman came and picked the orchid up. She's so beautiful, I must have her, the woman mumbled. The purple orchid had sprayed its volatiles in the air in hopes of being put down. And the woman had hesitated. Should I think about this first? Come back later? She said to herself. No, she's too beautiful. Someone else will take her. And just like that, the orchid was gone. But because the fern knew what humans considered beautiful, it had skillfully remained the opposite for years. It stunted its own growth and kept its leaves shriveled up like a head of lettuce. This strategy worked brilliantly. It was why the fern had remained at Home Depot years longer than any of the other plants. It always went unnoticed by customers and Home Depot workers alike, and that's how it would always remain, or so the fern thought. Ultimately, the fern's self-imposed homeliness was also its undoing. A new Home Depot employee had taken pity on the poor ugly dude and intentionally replaced the empty spot left behind by the beautiful orchid with the fern in hopes of getting the houseplant sold. 
Even after being moved, the ugly fern thought it was safe. Until Brenda's rear end attacked. He was just screaming to be taken, Brenda cooed to her book club. Not true. The houseplant screamed with its volatiles to be set back down. It kept screaming when she put it in her cart and practically screeched when Brenda put it into her passenger seat. It kept screaming the whole drive home. The fern only stopped screaming once she parked in the garage and opened her car door because it sensed that it was not alone. It smelled all the plants of the neighborhood, the grass, the flowers, the giant oak tree. The fern had thought maybe it had been wrong to be scared of Brenda. Maybe she would plant it outside in the earth. Oh, how it had always dreamed to be planted in the ground where it could really be connected to the other plants. The fern's roots would be colonized by the thin threads of fungi known as mycelium that would link the fern's roots to all the other plants of the neighborhood. It would merely have to secrete a few tiny signals through its roots to be able to communicate to the plants far and wide. But then Brenda pressed the button and the garage door lowered on the fern's hopes and dreams. It was left with fake light and Brenda. You're home now, Brenda said as she hoisted the fern into her arms. She brought the fern inside and the plant immediately used all its senses to search the place for any other plants. There were none in any of the rooms Brenda walked through. What it did sense were other humans. Dread took over as a large man-human came out of one of the rooms. Brenda held up the fern like an offering for man-human to examine. Was the man-human going to rip it out by the roots while she watched in delight? The plant felt vibrations as a girl-human and a younger boy-human raced down the steps to see what their mother was holding. The boy-human reached up and grabbed onto one of the fern's leaves, and the plant screamed louder than it ever screamed before. It had witnessed enough at Home Depot to know that human children were the most vicious of creatures. Be careful, you don't want to rip the leaves out, Brenda said as she knelt down for the boy offspring to take a better look. Can I have it? asked little boy offspring. The girl offspring snickered. Yeah, give it to him. You're just going to kill it like all the others anyway. Dead plant walking, said the man-human. Girl offspring and man-human cackled. Ha ha, really funny, laughed Brenda as she stood up again. Was Brenda really a plant killer? As if to answer, Brenda climbed up the same stairs the little humans had come down from and placed the fern in a bathroom. A glass vase of wilting roses on the sink confirmed all the fern's worst fears. It sensed the volatiles coming from the roses that translated to, Help me! I'm dying! I'm dying! So the plant deduced, This is the torture chamber where Brenda brings plants to murder. There was plenty of moisture in the air, but no sunlight. And if that wasn't horrible enough, Brenda overwatered, so the fern struggled to breathe. The plant began to wilt. The more it wilted, the more she watered. It became apparent she was trying to drown it. But the fern was determined to triumph. And when Brenda threw the dead roses into the wastebasket, they had stopped communicating days before, it was solved that it would not be another victim of this cruel mistress. It would be the plant that lived. And it did. The fern clung to life for weeks in that bathroom, even when it sensed all hope was lost. Then one morning, Brenda came into the bathroom, looked down at the wilting fern and sighed. The plant sensed her frustration and assumed she was frustrated that it survived. Brenda grabbed the fern and placed it on the balcony where there was plenty of sunlight and moisture. And the fern could hear, smell, feel the fellow plants in the neighborhood again. It had defeated the human and this was the victory it deserved. Or so it thought until the sun rose. There was no protection from the fierce rays and the fern's fronds began to cook at the tips.
The fern felt searing pain as the charring slowly moved up its fronds. So Brenda has a new plan, it occurred to the plant. Burn me alive. The fern dispatched warning signals to the plants below the balcony. In the neighborhood gardens, translated the signal screamed, Evil woman tortures plants! Grow away from here! To Brenda's credit, she did bring the houseplant into the shady reading room at the moment she got home from work and saw the ferns blackened fronds. I'm sorry, she said. When she touched the leaves, inspecting the damage she had caused, the plant could sense through the contact that Brenda felt regret for the injuries. But so what? She hadn't been killing it on purpose. That didn't change the fact that she was incompetent and should never have any plants ever. As time went by, it became harder for the plant to hold on to its grudge. Brenda tried to improve and did. She learned how to properly care for the fern, spraying it on a daily basis. She even placed a pan of wet pebbles under the houseplant's pot so that humidity was constantly in the air for it to quench its thirst whenever it wanted. The fern turned green and the joy this brought Brenda complicated the plant's feelings further. The plant associated the feeling of joy with predators. It had witnessed that feeling mostly when a predator conquered its prey. When bugs felt joy around plants, it was because they were able to eat them. When humans felt joy around plants, it was because they were about to conquer them. So Brenda's joy seemed like a display of dominance. So what did the fern do? It stifled its growth curling up its leaves and turning itself into the shape of a cabbage once again, this time in rebellion. Just let her try to turn me beautiful, it thought. It prided itself in becoming even more hideous than it had been at Home Depot. That would show Brenda who was dominant. But Brenda's joy didn't go away. She didn't seem concerned that the fern was ugly. Months went by, and Brenda's affection for the plant grew even when the fern's leaves did not. The plant was deeply confused and didn't know what to do with its resentful feelings. It started flinging its invisible energy over Brenda when she entered the reading room. It would wrap its energy around her like invisible tentacles and scour beneath her joy for a malicious motive or evil intent while Brenda watered it. Found nothing. She was merely happy that it was healthy. Her kindness had no ulterior motive. Brenda was kind a lot, actually, and the plant understood the idea of kindness less than cruelty. Morning, day, and night, Brenda would prepare large meals that the man-human and two offspring would eat away from her. She did all that work and yet was only left with one plate of food matter to nourish herself. And what did she get from them in return? Positive words. Words like, thank you and love you. Of what value were those? The plant almost felt sorry for her, except that she would wake up and happily do it again the next day. George decided to take advantage of this apparent weakness. Because Brenda was no longer a threat, one by one, George allowed its leaves to curl open to take in the sunlight. With its newfound beauty, also came Brenda's compliments. Surprisingly, the fern quite enjoyed them. Though at first conflicted by this, it resolved that it did not need to like Brenda and enjoy the things she did for it. So it was also not troubled when Brenda began stroking its leaves. Something that used to send a horror through the plant now brought comfort. It became a routine for Brenda to come in and spend time talking to the plant. One special day, Brenda even gave it a real name. Little guy, you're not so little anymore. It's time to give you a name. Let's see. I'd say you look like a George. How do you like that name, George? The fern wasn't opposed to the name. It would have been happy with any name. 
What mattered most to the plant was the underlying intent beneath the name. It wasn't just a houseplant anymore. It was something to someone. And George enjoyed the feeling of importance very much. Sometimes Britta's obnoxious man, Hewan, would rudely interrupt their time together. He would barge into the room while Brenda was giving George attention and wrap his arms around Brenda, squeezing her more fragile frame. The fern smelled the oxytocin secrete from his human pores. George took all this to be some human display to keep Brenda subservient to him. And George did not like it. The man-human would say things like, Brenda, you weirdo, why are you always talking to that stupid houseplant? George worried that if he said stupid houseplant to her enough, she would be forced to feel the same way. The man was much bigger and stronger than her, after all. He could probably squeeze her to death if she did not agree. But Brenda always laughed off his jibes, wriggled out from his arms, and never let it face her. She never gave off any signs of being threatened by man-human, and man-human strangely always radiated a respect for her despite her much smaller statue. That all got George to thinking. Maybe Brenda's kindness didn't make her weak after all. The plant started paying closer attention to her peculiarities, with more wonderment than judgment. It was particularly fascinated by her feelings for her offspring. They were less than half her size, and yet she loved them more than herself. This made, have, this made no sense to the plant. If she had produced them asexually, it might have, because that would make her them miniature replicas of herself. But the offspring only had half of her likeness inside of them. The, only, the other half came from the wretched partner of hers. The houseplant had known Brenda's patterns for some time, but now began anticipating them. For instance, George knew that once Brenda was done making the human morning meals, that meant she would come up and give George its sweet, sweet water. It anticipated the wetness, the taste of the minerals, and after its thirst was quenched, it would enjoy Brenda's attention as an after-meal snack. With the fern's happiness grew its fronds. The other women in the book club began to notice. They started to compliment George too. And no one tried to plant nap it, which George thought was good. And that's how me and George met, right, George? Brenda's energy went from excitement to serenity as she wrapped up her story. The plant felt the relief of the other members who had heard the story so many times before. The story might annoy them, but they still cared for her. That was the power of its human. George felt a secret pride. If only these women humans knew the real story, how a houseplant came to tolerate its human. Now that the book club was over, Brenda waited for the last woman to go. Then she sat on the window pane next to her fern and pet it like she always did when they were gone. I really am so grateful we found each other, George. But this time what she said didn't feel good to George. Something was amiss. It could feel the vibrations of pain in her fingers, even before she felt it herself. Brenda winced and massaged her temples, trying to push the pain away. She picked up a glass of water as she cupped the side of her head. Where'd this headache come from? She asked herself. Not enough water, I suppose. Wrong. Hydration was definitely not her problem. The headache was her body warning Brenda that a vessel had burst and blood was flooding into her brain. The fern released its own warning into the air, which she also dismissed as she brushed away stray droplets of water from her chin. That's better, she mumbled. It was not. Brenda dropped the glass. It crashed to the ground and exploded into shards that flew through the room. Then Brenda dropped on top of them. George knew the shards were painful, saw the blood they brought, but Brenda released no pain signals. 
Instead, the houseplant noticed a strange pulsing energy coming from her. The plant panicked. The man and the offspring were not home to help. But through the window, the plant could sense the neighbor woman-human gardening next door. The woman-human had a spare key, but how to call her over? The fern tried to convince the blades of grass beyond the window to transmit the message that Brenda, its human, was in danger. At first, the blades of grass ignored the fern. They disliked humans, always chopping them down before they had the opportunity to seed. But the fern persisted, and eventually the blades relented. They passed the message across the yard, through the underground mycelium root network. The roots of the roses received the message and wafted a floral translation into the air that was blown by the wind right into the gardener woman's nose. Because intuition comes to humans in whispers, the floral aroma just smelled like another day amongst her roses. But this time the fragrance was laced with a message, George's human is in danger. The gardener human dropped her gardening tools. She couldn't explain it, but she had a gnawing feeling that something was wrong at her neighbor's house. Though hesitant, she walked over to Brenda's and knocked. No answer. By this time, so many of the plants of the neighborhood had received George's message through the underground network, including the large oak tree, that a cocktail of fragrances swirled around the gardener human like an invisible cloud. She did not hesitate on locking the door, with her spare key and running up the steps where she found Brenda's lifeless body. Eventually, strangers came, carefully walked around the glass, and carried Brenda's body away. George knew she was gone. It understood death had taken her, but it chose to do what humans do and force that knowledge away. The plant woke up the next morning, hoping to hear Brenda's laughter downstairs, but there was no laughter and no Brenda. Days turned into a week, and there was not one sign of her. Without her warmth, mornings turned to fighting matches between man-human and two offspring. The offspring were upset. Man-human didn't cook the same food matter Brenda did. And then he started putting her possessions in boxes. If I grow even more beautiful, the fern thought, that will surely bring her back to compliment me and touch my leaves some more. So for two weeks, the fern grew an unprecedented amount. Its fronds became even more lustrous. The fern would have been considered breathtakingly beautiful to anyone who would have entered the room, if anyone did. With Brenda gone, the women's book club didn't come by, and the family members avoided the room altogether. George was alone in its beauty, alone and thirsty. The fern hadn't been watered in almost three weeks, and the growth spurt had used up the remaining moisture in George's soil. One night after the plant had shut down its photosynthesis and was resting, it heard the sprinkling of water. Its first thought was Brenda had returned to water it, but it was, raining, it was rain pouring from outside the window. George felt how refreshed the plants were by the downpour. Its leaves felt the coolness of the droplets running down the glass. The water was right there, but on the other side of the window. George began to wilt. The drooping worsened the next morning. The soil around its roots was hard like rocks. Instead of nourishing George, the dry soil now sucked the remaining moisture from its roots. George began shutting down some of its systems in hopes of conserving the wet chlorophyll that remained in its veins. The fern's leaves went from their beautiful hue of green to yellow to brown. That's when the man-human took notice. He walked by, stopped, and came into the reading room to stare at the dying houseplant. He was carrying a large box in one hand and a glass of ice water in the other. The man-human set the glass of ice water next to George as he packed up Brenda's books from the bookshelf. 
Though George did not like the man-human, it was so thirsty that it let go of its pride and tried in its way to ask the man-human for water. The man-human paused from packing to take a drink of water. He looked at George, and for a moment, it seemed as though he was going to pour water for the plant to drink. However, the plant placed the glass back down. He walked George over to the trash and tipped its pot over so that the shriveled fern slid into the darkness of the trash can. George wasn't angry at this. It understood. Humans love beauty, and who could love George now that George was ugly? Only Brenda, and she was gone. The plant mourned in the darkness, not because it was dying, but because it missed all the things it got from being alive. It missed Brenda watering it. It missed Brenda's compliments. It missed Brenda's touch. But most of all, it realized it missed Brenda. Even as she came back and didn't give it any of the things it most enjoyed, even as she left it there in the trash to rot, the plant would still have been happy just to hear a laugh once more. Tyler, take out the trash in your mother's room, George heard the man-human say. Maybe to end in the reading room is better, the houseplant thought, and the houseplant made peace with the darkness. Tyler, are you taking out the trash? In a second, Dad. The plant didn't notice the light of the reading room turn on. Nor did it notice Brenda's little boy offspring, looking down at its dried-up body, who was that far gone. Had the offspring tied up the bag, George would have been none the wiser. But the offspring didn't. His tiny hands reached into the trash and pulled George out by its dry potting soil, and held it in his arms like a baby. The loving tenderness from the offspring's touch brought George back just a little bit. And for a moment, there in the offspring's arms, George sends Brenda, Tyler, now please, his father hollered from downstairs. I am, Dad. The little boy offspring took George to his room, where he repotted the fern and placed it by his window. The new location was good, but George didn't like being out of the reading room that it associated so closely to Brenda. Every morning, before he went to school, Brenda's boy offspring would spray the dried up fern and say, You're safe now, George. Once done, he would pet the fern. Though it was too dried up to feel the touch, the sentiment behind the touch motivated George to persist. It hoped that soon it would be well enough to be placed back in the reading room, where it could keep waiting for Brenda's return. George enjoyed listening to boy offspring's school adventures, who his mortal enemies were for the week, and on which girls he had a secret crush. Those nights the boy cried in bed missing his mother, George would wrap his energy tentacles around the boy like a hug, and the boy would calm and drift off to sleep. Like the boy human, George missed Brenda, and always would, but it realized it no longer missed the reading room. It enjoyed the bedroom and being able to sleep so close to the boy human. He was no longer just an extension of Brenda to George, but a special human being in his own right. So much so that George stopped thinking of him as boy offspring and boy human at all, and started to think of him as Tyler. One day while Tyler took care of George, the older girl offspring snuck in unannounced. Tyler attempted to hide it, but the fronds were poking out on either side of him. Isn't that the houseplant Dad threw away? Please don't tell Dad, he pleaded. I'm trying to bring George back to life. Girl offspring rolled her eyes and scoffed, but she didn't tell her father. Every day, she'd come in to mock her boy sibling for trying to arrive something so obviously dead. But George sensed the sincerity sprouting from the girl offspring's habitual teasing that blossomed into full-fledged affection for George the day Tyler pointed out a spot of green on the fern that had not been there the day before. 
Look, Lindsay, we're bringing George back to life. It was true. George rather liked the girl offspring and began associating her by her name, too. Tyler and Lindsay continued to encourage the chlorophyll to flow back into George's veins, which in turn brought laughter back into their throats. The laughter of the human children made George's leaves tingle until the bedroom door burst open. The plant is dead. Throw it away. Both Tyler and Lindsay turned to see their father standing in the doorway. Apparently, their laughter had drawn his attention. The man-human tried to snatch George away from Tyler, but Lindsay grabbed it first and held it away from her father. Mom would have wanted us to keep him alive. The man-human stumbled backward. He didn't cry, but George sensed his sadness. Without another word, he nodded and left the room. But the man-human, whose name was Bill, returned to the room every day forward and asked his offspring how the stupid houseplant was doing. Eventually, the day came he didn't need to ask. He could see it for himself. George was beautiful. That day, he stood silent at the door quite some time before he spoke. Your mom would have been so happy to know you saved George. You can put him back into the reading room and I'll make sure he's taken care of from here on out. George didn't want to be away from Tyler and tried in its plant way to tell Tyler so. Tyler thought a moment before he responded to his father. Mm, I don't want to take him back to the reading room if that's okay. George is my friend. So in Tyler's bedroom, George remained. The offspring took good care of the houseplant, and George showed its love the only way it knew how. It grew, and grew, and grew. Tyler grew too, and every year on Tyler's human birthday, he received new plants to take care of. Over the years, his room became a menagerie of plant friends for George to talk to. George enjoyed them all, but developed a particular fondness for the plant directly next to it, a palm tree it named Brenda. All right. That was wonderful, Jeremy. Thanks, Great job. Megan. Yeah. Um, so in this reading, I, I realized during your reading this time that I actually really identified with the, with the <laughs> in this story. After the hundredth time of listening to it. I will, I mean, of course, there, there are moments that I've always resonated with, but for some reason, I just really found these two moments. And one of them yeah, was when, um, I'm interviewing you now. What? Oh, <laughs> Um, well, yes, I'm going to talk right now <laughs> and say that uh, I really connected with this story in the moment where uh, the houseplant like curls up like a cabbage because I feel like sometimes when people are being nice to me, I'm very skeptical of the, that nicety. And so I like curl up and I'm like, don't be nice to me. And it, so it takes a little while for me to start opening my prongs. Megan, I've seen you do it. Megan, um, I've seen you do it. You have you have a face that happens. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is truth about me. But also, another moment that I recognized in myself was when um, the, the house plan is so overwhelmed with grief and it starts to make itself more beautiful. And I feel like I've done that before where I've been in these moments where it's like, I'm so overwrought with whatever feelings that I feel like if I can just make my outside look beautiful, then that will somehow heal my insides. And, and so, um, anyway, I just, I really connected with the houseplant. So thank you again, for, thank you. for bringing it in and sharing it with me again and sharing it with all of our listeners and listeners. Watchers. If you're still listening, thank so, you. <laughs> 
So, uh, Jeremy, would you please uh, tell us a little bit about what your creative influences were for this story? Yeah, so I know this sounds really pretentious, but it's true. I, I usually, when I start writing something, like I let the story tell me what it wants to be. And when I started writing this, like it kept like elbowing me or whatever this is. What is this called? Tapping. Yeah, I'm a writer and I don't know words. Uh, it tapped me on the shoulder <laughs> and it was just like, I think you're going to be the feel of um, the Velveteen Rabbit. Not not a children's story, but uh, something that everyone can listen to. Like if you read the Velveteen Rabbit again, I, I really recommend it, by the way. It's so good. It's really good. And I just wanted something that like would connect with people um, that weren't just kids. Oh, absolutely. And I, I can see that. I see the, the, um, the sort of environment of the story and the way that, that you describe things reminds me of that sort of accessible children's story that doesn't feel like it's like, I don't feel like I'm being talked down to in this story. I feel like someone is just, is telling me this story and, and, I'm just engrossed by the the honesty and the authenticity of of those words. Thanks, Megan. I, was there a particular moment that inspired this story? Oh, girl, you know this. You I, I have the... to say this every single time. We've rehearsed this so many times, and uh, this part always sucks. So I had a roommate. Once upon a time, I'm going to tell you another story. I had a roommate. Um, the roommate and I eventually didn't get along. He had a bunch of plants, and there was one plant in particular he wouldn't water. And I have no green thumbs at all, like no green thumbs. And I just felt really bad that the plant was getting not getting watered. So um, I started watering the plant. And uh, something interesting happens when you start taking care of something, um, right, Megan? Um, you develop feelings Absolutely. for it. Like I felt like I had to protect it. And when I left, um, our my me and my roommate weren't on good terms. And so uh, he wouldn't let me have the plant. I, I, he wouldn't offer, like, he wouldn't let me, like, pay him any type of money for it. So I went with my boyfriend to our new place, and um, I was really sad, obviously. And I just said, I just said in the car that I didn't know the story at the time, but I wanted to write something in honor of the plant. And by the way, I wanted to show you guys something. This is actually also one of my inspirations is Benji. <gasps> this is a surprise. Megan oh, didn't know I was wow. going to do this. For our for our listeners, Jeremy is holding up this beautiful green plant that fern. he's named Benji. I'm I'm not sure what kind of planet. What kind of he's planet? He's a bird is that? nest fern. Bird nest fern. Ooh, he made oh, the place dirty. He's very he's very lovely and he's so bright cute. and friendly. I love him. Very friendly. Oh, thank you for sharing You're so that with welcome. us. Do you feel like writing that story helped you work through your grief at all for lo for losing that plant? Um. Well, no, it still sucks because, like, the plant is still there. And I'm, I just pictured the plant being really well taken care of. Um, but it did, it did, like, it did do stuff because, like, when I when I brought it to writer's group, we're both in writer's group t together just for the people who don't know us. Um, I would have people coming up later and they're like, you know, after I heard your story, I bought a houseplant and I named that houseplant and I truly <laughs> love that houseplant. It's also really cute because when people hear the story, they'll like message me, like even stranger, strangers and they'll be like, so let me tell you about my houseplant. And it's like this like top secret where people have been afraid to say that they love their houseplant as much as a pet. It's really cute. I just love those stories. So if you have any of those stories, please put them at the end of the podcast. I'd love to read them. Oh, please tell us about your houseplants. We would love to hear 
about your houseplant stories and pictures of your houseplants. I have tons of houseplants. What are their and names? I want to talk about all of them Megan, right now. Megan, their names. But I won't. It's going to take too long. Um, but I will say that my, uh, I'll say one, I'll tell one story about my houseplant, which is uh, a sequoia tree named Dame Judy Dench, and it lives outside. And she would. over the last six months, it's been, um, it's been getting a little brown, and it was really upsetting me. And so I was like doctoring it and reading up on sequoia trees and like trying to figure out what was wrong with it. And then I, since quarantine, you know, I've been sitting outside more and talking to it more and just being like more attentive, telling it about my life, et cetera. And I mean, it's like green now, like the, the, the green shoots are coming off the brown. It's like, it's like green is, is overtaking the brown and it's got little shoots on top and it's getting taller. And I know that it's because I'm just That's giving amazing. it more attention. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. So uh, we are both houseplant lovers. So if you want to share your houseplants with us, please do so. We would be delighted. Um, So one more question I have for for you, Jeremy, is who do you think is the antagonist in this story? Well, as you guys know, we've done this a few times. I didn't have the answer the first time, but Megan, I have the answer this time. The antagonist is Brenda. (laughs) And um, um, why do you think the antagonist? Well, is let Brenda? me tell you why. She's the, <laughs> she's the, she's what the protagonist is going up against. And I actually learned something from writing this, especially when Megan was like, she's the protagonist. I was like, oh, the protagonist doesn't always have to be like the bad guy. And the antagonist. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for correcting me. The antagonist doesn't always have to be the bad guy. And I guess I've been writing so long that I kind of forgot that, and I was just writing to write. Yeah, I I love that. I I think it's so interesting because we do as writers, we get into our heads so much and we're doing this for so long that we kind of forget these basics sometimes. Oh my God, it's so true. And then... And then we have to go back to the basics and we're like, oh yeah, that's what, you know, you throw out these words, protagonist, antagonist, um, just for for our listeners who might not know, the protagonist would be like your main character. And your antagonist would be the person who uh, instigates the most change in that person, or um, creates the most conflict, so to speak. And and so we do. We forget. That. I forget that. You know, I forget that. You know, inciting incident. What's that? Oh yeah. Okay. That's for next time. <laughs> that's for next time. Yes. That's all the lesson on writing you're going to get tonight. Uh, so Jeremy, I just want to thank you so much for taking extra time on the podcast that you are a co-host on to uh, answer some questions and give the the listeners and the watchers a little more context about your story. Uh, once again, it was really lovely, and thank you so much for for bringing it on. Megan, the thank you. You're welcome. Uh, if you like this story, please comment. Please feel free to comment. Please share it, um, the podcast. We would love to hear um, anything that, that you want to uh, comment below on our YouTube channel. If you're into other social media, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook using the hashtag NRSSpodcast. We would love any goodwill you can throw our way. And that is wrapping us up for this episode. Uh, we hope that you have enjoyed this. We hope that you enjoyed this podcast. And this is our first ever live podcast, so we're very excited. And next week. Wait, no, that's uh, me. I want to do that. Hope. Next week is Megan. Oh, okay. <laughs> 
Yes, next week we will be reading my story uh, called In the Blood. It is a, a short story about a young woman from the South who, um, falls, who tries to escape her family, but she ends up falling in love and realizing that, that she can't ever really um, cut the ties that bind you to your family and to your past and your DNA. So we hope that you will join us next week at the same time, Monday night, uh, 6 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, we will be here again with another wonderful episode of Nobody Reads Short Stories. Thank you so much, everybody. Bye. Good night. No one reads short stories anymore. I really don't know what they're written for. Go write a short story and throw it out the door. Cause no one reads short stories, funny, sad, or gory. No one reads short stories anymore. Yes, no one reads short stories anymore.